Video Game The Movie The Podcast. Welcome back to Video Game The Movie The Podcast. I'm Lexi Conwell. I am Mackenzie Easton. And I am Nathan Bertram. We have kind of a double feature this time around with the Street Fighter movies from 1994 that being Street Fighter, the live-action movie, and Street Fighter 2, uh, completely unrelated, Street Fighter 2, the animated movie. Which technically came out first. We only found out about the animated one after we had already seen the live-action one, so we're doing them at the same time. Does anyone have some initial thoughts or anything? So this isn't like a diamond in the rough kind of situation. We didn't find ourselves a secret gem this time around, did we, guys? No. No, we did not. Can we all agree the live-action one is way better than the animated one? Oh, definitely. Absolutely. Okay, so let's start with the animated one, because we watched, me and Nathan watched Uh... that this morning. It technically came out first, and it's more accurate to the game? Question mark? Yeah... I guess. So, okay, let's say limited Street Fighter knowledge here. I am aware of Street Fighter, and I can beat Nathan at Street Fighter 2 pretty handily, but that's about it. Lexi, familiarity with the franchise? Uh, um, There are Smash Bros. characters from that series. (laughs) Yeah, there's two of them now. Uh, Luckily, they're prominent characters, so, you know, you kind of know them. Uh, Uh, No one played them in my (laughs) playgroup. Any familiarity with Street Fighter? As a franchise. Uh, yeah, I'm familiar with Street Fighter. I don't think we owned any of them growing up, but we played them somehow. Yeah, I mean, I've been to arcades that have had Street Fighter cabinets and uh, now, played usually it before. Usually Street Fighter 2. If anybody's talking about Street Fighter, 99% of the time they're talking about Street Fighter 2 and onwards, because the first game literally just had Ken and Ryu. Yeah, the first game is actually pretty different. It was never as successful as the sequel. It just had Ryu as the main playable character. If you did two-player, the second player would play as Ken, and if the second player defeated the first player, they would continue fighting the computer as Ken. But there were no other playable characters in it. It was just your player character going up against AI-controlled opponents. Okay. And then the sequel introduced a whole new roster of playable fighters and new locations and was way more popular and successful than the first one. So yeah, that's our familiarity with the game. None of us are like big traditional fighting game fans. Lexi, you're a bit of a Smash fiend, but that's not... As of like the last couple, few years, like the last four years I got into it in college. Yeah, so I mean, none of us are into traditional fighting games though. It's not really our thing, but we're aware of it. It's a cultural force. It's not like we don't recognize references when we see them. Yeah. But this movie, man. Okay, Uh... Okay, we're starting with the animated movie. I was going to say, let's give a brief rundown of the plot but I'm not even sure I remember it and I literally watched it like four hours ago. (laughs) The animated movie. Yeah. I mean, I can take a stab at it if you want. Yeah, okay, it's Nathan's turn. You did the intro, Lexi, so Nathan gets the the animated movie premise. Okay, so Street Fighter II, the animated movie, is the story of a Japanese martial arts master named Ryu who is traveling the world fighting different masters of different fighting disciplines. Uh, Meanwhile, there is a shadowy criminal organization called Shadow Law run by a tyrant named M. Bison 
who is <laughs> using his psycho powers to brainwash fighters into being assassins, Manchurian candidate style, one of whom is a former MI6 agent named Cammy, which brings this whole plot to the attention of Interpol and the US military, who launch a joint investigation to take down Shadow Law. Meanwhile, meanwhile, <laughs> Ken, who is Ryu's former like training partner, ex-boyfriend, taught at the same <laughs> dojo, is awaiting the time that him and Ryu will meet again to fight for the last time to see who is the better fighter. He gets targeted by uh, Bison as a candidate for this brainwashing. He ends up getting captured and turned against Ryu, but Ryu breaks him free of the psycho control and they take down Bison together. That's more or less what happens. A lot of stuff in that movie is completely superfluous and has no bearing on the overall plot. Most of the movie is superfluous. Most of it, like by a wide margin. There is very little in this movie that matters. Even within scenes, there's like lingering shots that are just like, I'm all for slow cinema, but man, it's unnecessary (laughs) in this film. This movie very desperately wants to include every single character on the roster in the movie, but has nothing for them to do which leads to scenes like arbitrarily the movie cuts to some kind of like circus performance where Zangief is introduced and fights Blanca but this is not really set up to be important in any way it's just a thing that happens and then it's done very quickly and it never comes up again for the rest of the movie never seen or heard from again is a good like tagline for this movie for most yeah. of the characters there is a lot of just and then they go visit DJ because they think he's at risk and then they kill a robot and then they're like don't get killed by robots and then they leave oh yeah also Bison is using cyborgs to track the fighters that he thinks he can brainwash there are no robots in this game series it's so weird oh that was completely added interesting why are there robots so lexi doesn't sound like you had a great time with this what are your thoughts oh this movie was such a slog to get through i i mean it's what hour and a half hour 45 or something i don't remember exactly about an hour 40 yeah yeah and it took me like most of a day because i had to keep leaving because it was just so unentertaining. Yeah, it's really not. <laughs> By the end of it, me and Nathan thought, maybe if you cut literally everything that isn't Ken and Ryu, <laughs> you might have a halfway decent 20-minute short film. Yeah, there's not a whole lot left. Yeah, there's like mm-hmm. not a lot. Also, also like, Guile and Chun-Li, maybe? I don't know. I think you just need to keep enough of their stuff to like establish that Shadow Law is a problem. But like, yeah. they fridged Chun-Li in this movie, which is wild. So Chun-Li is probably one of the most iconic Street Fighter characters. I don't think anyone's going to really argue with me on that point, right? Chun-Li? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, like with her legs and stuff. And she like exists in this movie, has a pretty interesting back and forth with Guile, clearly can fight and has this really, the only thing she ends up actually doing in the movie is having this very long extended, really creepy fight sequence with Vega where he's While like mostly clearly, naked. Yeah, it's really, she's almost naked, which is awful. I mean, he's we, like, Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> everybody is little towards her in this movie. And then she doesn't need to be rescued, which I appreciate 
appreciated, but then she's in a hospital for the rest of the movie. Yeah. Also, like, Guile keeps going on about how he needs to get his revenge, but it's never established what happened. It says offhand that something happened to his best friend. Like, did did Bison steal his boyfriend, or is it just, like, <laughs> it's just that vague. You can print anything onto this. These movies both have a lot of homoeroticism in them, by the way. Like, Definitely. It takes almost nothing to make this really gay. I On that topic, I'd like to point out that while the plot is uh, non-existent, the muscle definition on these characters oh is, like, really good. They all have 12 packs and biceps the size of their heads. It's insane. You can see the tendons... Like, the fight scenes are well done. They're I'm just pretty long sure and that most of the, like, models of the, of the characters get wider when they take their shirts off. Oh, most definitely. Ryu? Ryu's... Yeah. I know Ken, at one point in time, takes his shirt off and, like, gets a few I- inches wider on either side. <laughs> yeah, the animation quality in this movie, it varies wildly from during the fight scenes generally is very smooth and detailed, but then there are just shots that will be very shoddily animated. Yeah, yeah. it's very anime. Like, the whole thing yeah. is exceedingly anime. Lots of lingering <laughs> shots of people just staring into the distance while one part of their clothing flaps the wind it's cheap um, yeah. yeah they they uh. have they will spend i remember early in the movie they were doing some establishment shots i timed it it was like two minutes of just establishment <laughs> shots that meant nothing they did yeah. nothing and they kept doing similar feeling time like establishment shots it wasn't as long but it was ugh, it was i think yeah the worst scene for this in my opinion like or at least the scene where it hit me the hardest was the time where chun li is getting the phone call from guile and she's in the shower where there's a lot of very long lingering shots of a girl in a shower weirdly long panning shots of her empty house and like it shows the phone for a good like 30 seconds before it rings like it's that repeated like six times before anything happens it's bizarre it's like why did it feels like they just had to pad the dang thing out right like yeah they couldn't hit which is crazy because they have like 12 characters they feel like are important so much (laughs) of the time is wasted on just like low slow lingering shots of scenery it's bizarre is there housework going on over there i hear some like yeah i think our land i think our neighbor might be doing something so sorry if there's hammer sounds or whatever this movie doesn't deserve clean audio anyways (laughs) oh my god God. So yeah, besides the like incredibly gay moment where Ryu receives a like headband from Ken and then wears it for the rest of his life, this movie is really dull and emotionless and just weird. There was a, for me it was a reference even though it wasn't actually a reference because this came out before Dragon Ball Z but there was this whole thing about power levels of fighters that these robots could do and they were so impressed when Ryu's power level was over 3,000. Yeah. Yeah, that was the other thing where we both were like, I made that exact joke. It's over (laughs) 3,000. Yeah. yeah, it's a very anime. It's so anime, and like I don't know, they they include literally every single character from the game. I think, including ones that don't make it into the live action one. But that I like all yeah. of the characters in the live action one way more because I got to know at least a few of them vaguely as characters. Well, it's yeah. it's all the characters from the original Street Fighter Two lineup plus a few characters that were added in Super Street Fighter Two. Yes. So the, so there's like four more characters that are also included in here. I think 
think the only one who doesn't make the cut in the live action one is Fei Long, right? Yes. And Fei Long is uh, the guy who shows up for literally one scene working on that movie set and then fights Ryu and is like oh. exposition dump and then leaves. <sighs> Yep. I had no idea what his deal was. I had no idea what anyone's deal was because it was there was no deal. Yeah, I, I guess his... chief or something. What like some some like oh, Native American hawk. stereotype just like shows up in an character. alley and fights Ken, and that's it. That's it. Yeah, that's all he does. Yeah. So, uh. so yeah, that's the other thing about the animated movie is man, are some of the characters racial stereotypes and horrifyingly animated caricatures? Oofa doofa. Yeah. Oofa doofa. Uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, the boxer. Balrog. Balrog is really uncomfortable to look at. Yep. Uh, T-Hawk is really uncomfortable and st- talks slightly in stunted English. It's not as bad as it could have been, but that's not saying much. No. Uh, I mean, like... Dalsim is far worse in this than in the live-action version. Yeah, Dalsim in the live-action version is just kind of like a scientist dude who's trying his best. In this, he's just like magic Indian man. Also, just Gandhi. Just Gandhi in this movie? Did we ever figure out what the deal was with that guy who punched Gandhi in the face and then ran away? He got shot immediately afterwards. He was working for Shadow Law, I think. I think yeah. it goes to show that this scene, the fact this scene that they're talking about, I have absolutely no memory of this. That's how unimportant most things are in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I guess that was one of the other assassins. It just happens. Oh yeah, Cammy is addressed again. Cammy is only in this movie for like us, like two scenes. Like she has her mind wiped and she kills a guy who seems like Dick Cheney, but good, I guess. And then she gets captured by Interpol and has no memories, so she just gets interviewed a couple times pointlessly, even though she has no memories. Yeah. Uh, and that's the two female characters, uh, unless you count small Indian girl who exists solely to show that Ken is a decent person i guess yeah he Ryu. like gives her Ryu, he knocks, rather he knocks money her, he knocks milk out of her hand accidentally and gives her money to to go buy some more and then she like comes back and gets like hit by fighters or something out just out of the blue knocked over again it's just like this poor kid can't get a break uh, i mean <laughs> Everyone should just leave her alone, that poor thing. Also, important to note here, like we're talking about the whole Shadowland it, like as the villain and Ryu is the protagonist, arguably, if there is a protagonist. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know about this shit until like third of the way through the movie and then he proceeds to do nothing about it until his best friend is mind wiped into trying to kill him. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. that's his only deal. Oh, the other female character is Ken. Oh, right, Eliza or Eliza or at least something like that. I never caught the her second- she showed up I was 100% sure she would end up getting killed she oh. doesn't she also doesn't do anything in the movie yeah, yeah she's, she's just, entirely arm she's candy just there yeah like she's just there it's weird like I guess I think it, it may just exist to make Ken seem less gay oh yeah, you're right possible. cause like and we were talking about this uh, in this animated version E. Honda is like the Japanese sumo, sumo wrestler he is in the games and in the uh, live action movie they make Hawaiian and I think that's to avoid looking racist because in if it's an American film a sumo wrestler Japanese character might come off as a stereotype but if it's an anime movie that's 
fine because it's Japan doing it. Like these movies have very strange decision making processes and I'm 90% sure most of them are just trying to make this look better. Except the animated version doesn't try at all. <laughs> no. Yeah, the animated version just Okay. So, so yeah, can we all I... just kind of agree that this was a really bad movie and move on to the yeah. second one? It's yeah, bad. Absolutely. It's not worth talking. It's not worth watching. It's not worth talking about. The fact that M. Bison seems to be some kind of psychic ghost man is just a thing that never is really addressed. It's just weird. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, apparently this movie was very successful in the 90s. Really? In, in yeah. Japan, probably. Mm. I mean, it didn't show in most Western markets, but it showed in like, a few places. I think uh, the UK got it. <laughs> the UK got it. Because like, there is an English dub. We watched the English dub. and It um, never came to North America. Uh, Ken is a very bad voice actor, by the way. Whoever <laughs> yeah. does Ken sucks at his job. Um, <laughs> Everyone else was passable. Ken sucked. But yeah, this got like multiple home video and DVD and Blu-ray releases and... It's like been adapted a couple different times what? into different things. This animated movie is the basis for the Street Fighter Alpha subseries, which Ooh. is like a kind of soft reboot sort of parallel series to the main Street Fighter games. But yeah, it's not very good. <sighs> yeah. So that was Street Fighter 2, the animated movie. Who wants to do the plot breakdown for Street Fighter, the live action movie? Uh, do you want to do it? Uh, sure. It's my turn. Uh, it has been a little while since we watched this one we both got colds and so we had to stop recording for a little while but i'm gonna run down as best i can remember so in this one m bison is an evil dictator tyrant who is essentially the cause of a civil war in a made-up eastern southern asian nation called shandalu shandalu anyways kind of a racist name but we'll go <laughs> we'll talk about this later uh and the international community has been trying to stop him from you know continuing a civil war so so major players in this are Guile, who is an American military operative who has been assigned to this case, Chun-Li, who is a reporter with her crew, who is seemingly here to just report the case, but actually has a vendetta, a personal vendetta against M. Bison, and Ryu and Ken, who are two arms dealer con men who like get wound up in the events kind of coincidentally, uh, and through a series of like complicated happenstances and actual military plan, they manage to take down Bison before he kills a bunch of hostages he's taken. And that's the general plot. Also involved in this is Guile's best friend was kidnapped by M. Bison and is being slowly turned into a like mutated monster man by Dalsim. And Ken and Ryu get brought into the organization because they think that they're evil and also Vega's there. Like everybody's there, but it's a lot more focused than yeah. the other one. It's a very A to B, a ABC plot. Like there is a bad guy over there. We are the good guys. We have this really cool fighter boat. <laughs> Let's go get him. <laughs> Mostly there's like a, some hostage taking back and forth. You know, it's it's a like adventure movie kind of thing. It's a much, much better piece and a much better ensemble piece yeah. than the animated one. Nathan, you, you look like you want to say something. I kind of love this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed it a lot more than I was expecting. It's uh, it's not good. <laughs> no, it's not. But I'm it glad knows it knows exactly what it is, and it leans so hard into that that I can't help but enjoy the camp factor mm. and just 
how much everybody's leaning into it. It's also weirdly diverse for 1994 and like mostly not racist about it. It's weird about the like Eastern Southern Asian fake Thailand, but not even as weird about that as you would expect it to be for the 90s. And then also like a huge amount of the speaking cast is just casually like people of color and, you know, actually effective characters who make choices and do things and... I don't know, I was just kind of pleasantly surprised by the presence of a major Polynesian character and an Asian woman who does shit. I mean, sure, she's a martial artist, but literally everyone is in this movie, so I kind of yeah. feel like that's okay. Yeah. Everyone does kicks. It's also, fine. It's, it's, also, it's Ming-Na Wen. Like, I mean, yes, that's the other thing. Yeah. Ming-Na Wen is in this. And, uh, I'm very bisexual. <laughs> yes, McNawen. Um I don't know, Lexi, what did you think? Obviously we we aren't saying it's a good movie, but it's more enjoyable on some level for me. What yeah. did you despise the experience? I didn't despise the experience. It took me a while to get into it. I think one of the reasons it took so long was despite being a Street Fighter movie, there's almost no actual fighting. Except it until towards the end. There's a, there's a scene where they're introducing Ken and Ryu, or basically introducing Ken and Ryu, and, and the sub-villain, and where they spend three minutes hyping a fight with Vega and Ken and Ryu, and then the fight doesn't happen. It gets interrupted by Guile in a tank, and that's it. I was just like, yes, although- what? <laughs> I do have to admit that entrance for Guile is, is a great, that's great entrance on his part. Fair. That's fair. Yeah, The way they treat Ken and Ryu is very interesting in this movie because they've been shifted from like strong protagonist, honorable kung fu men to like shady con men who just happen to have martial arts training at the same place that are just crime buddies. They're like the main characters of Road to El Dorado. Except they're not even the main characters in this movie. No, they're just the, the I guess the lead character of this movie is probably Guile, but oh, like definitely. it's definitely an ensemble piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Guile, Chun-Li, Ken, and Ryu get more or less equal screen time. I would probably say that Guile and Chun-Li are the two leads and yeah. then most everybody else is supporting characters. Uh, but yeah, the, the interesting thing with Ken and Ryu is that there, there are these Robin Hood style con men that do fake weapons deals with criminals to <laughs> steal their money. Like yeah. that's, that's their introduction is they're doing this weapons deal with uh, I think it's Sagat who yeah. is um, yes. he works for M. Bison and he's the villain from the first Street Fighter game uh, they like the their whole plan is they're gonna get the money and then tell him where they have left the weapons and then leave before he finds out the weapons are fake but he's already figured out where they hid the weapons and <laughs> brought them to his base and the weapons are just army green painted Nerf guns. Yeah. <laughs> they shoot tennis balls. Yeah. So, like, you kind of like the characters in this movie because they're all some varying degree of really stupid or kind of charming. I was super on Zangief's side by the end of this movie because he's just, like, really dumb and trying super hard. <laughs> Wait, yeah. which one? Sorry. Say that again. Uh, Zangief is the very big uh, henchman who, at the end of the movie, is told that he was working for the bad guys and seems, like, genuinely sad. Oh he yeah, just, he didn't know. Yeah, <laughs> like, Aw. he was adorable. He immediately like, switched sides, just instantly. He's like, "Oh, wait, you were getting paid for this? Oh, this is the bad guy. Whoops, <laughs> oops, <laughs> that was my bad, my bad." 
So yeah, I guess we'll do like a rundown because the thing about Street Fighter and basically any of these fighting games is that it's more about the characters than it is about the story. And I think this movie kind of gets that, right? Mm-hmm. It's more about the characters. So yeah, Chen Li is a reporter, not an agent for Interpol, which is an interesting choice. She's former Interpol, I think. It's mentioned at one point in time. Whose father was killed and whose entire village was brazed to the ground by M. Bison. And her crew is... Balrog and E. Honda, who are former fighters whose career were ruined by M. Bison, and that's their only motivation. Yeah, that's uh, th- that is hilarious to me. Like most of the characters in this movie have these very strong reasons for going after Bison, and then you have these two guys that were just they were good sports people, and their careers were ruined, so they want to get revenge. <laughs> That's all, that's all they're here for. But they're all, like, great guys. Yeah, no, they're good characters. They're so fun. That's going on. Uh, meanwhile, Cammy seems to be leading the military outreach for whatever international organization is running the work in Chandelier. Guile is brought in from the American military and wants to take charge. His friend, Charlie, was abducted by M. Bison and is being turned into Blanca by Delcim, who is a scientist who is doing these procedures and feels very bad about it, who later, like, frees Blanca when he's halfway turned into a goblin man. Um, Zangief is a henchman for M. Bison, as long with DJ, who is just kind of a slightly slimy con man in this, who's mostly in it for the money. And working for Bison, just kind of, and then kind of yes. leaves at the end. He just kind of leaves. Sagat is an arms dealer who's not working for Bison, but trades with him. And he's got Vega as like a personal bodyguard type murderer machine for him. Vega's really, really hot in this movie, by the way. Just like absurdly sexy. Yeah. Uh, like yeah, that's gotta, fair. He takes off his mask and does thrusty hip movements. It's very good. I was like, uh, wow, he's, like, he's a pretty boy. <laughs> He's a sexy Spaniard. That's his whole deal. I mean, that's his whole deal in any version, but in this one, he's actually hot. Uh, so that helps. Who am I missing? Ken and Ryu we talked about. Uh, Cammy is... I did talk about Cammy. She's Cammie? running right. the like, okay. um, military operation. I think I got everybody? There's another character on that oh, team, uh, right? Oh, T-Hawk. Right. T-Hawk is in this movie. T-Hawk is in this movie. You don't get any sense of him being native until the very end of the movie when he puts on a headband. He puts on a headband and face paint to, like, make reference to his indigenous heritage when they're going into battle. But, like, it's actually handled all right. Isn't it the... Like, we looked this up, though. The actor actually is... Yeah, yeah, yeah. First Nations. So... (laughs) I was like kind of uncomfortable when we were watching it and then we looked it up and we're like, oh, I guess he can do that if he wants. That's his background. He can do it. So yeah, they were weirdly like, I mean, it's not woke, but it's 90s woke. It's woke for 94, I guess. 94 woke. It's weird. It's a weird movie. So that's a breakdown of the characters, but we haven't talked about the real star of the movie yet. Raul Julia. Raul Julia. What? As M. Bison. Oh, okay. So, uh, <laughs> Raul Julia, this is Raul Julia's last film. It is also dedicated to his memory. Because he was dying when he was making this movie. Oh, wow. Yeah. This movie had a very tight production schedule because- Raul uh, Julia was dying. <laughs> Capcom was co-financing the movie, so like all of the decisions made had to be run by the Capcom people, and they had all of these things that needed to be done in the movie, and they wanted to- train all of the actors in these different fighting styles before they had to shoot the fighting scenes since they were going to do a lot of those later in production to give them a chance to do this training. But then Raul Julia was diagnosed with cancer. And so they were like, oh no, we have to like shoot 
all of these scenes as soon as we can in case he gets worse and isn't able to do them. So it ended up that they were shooting all of these major battle scenes really early in production to get them out of the way so they could shoot all of Raul Julia's scenes out of production. Uh, So they ended up having people being trained hours before going on set to shoot their fight scenes. Just really tight timetable and no room for any actual practice. Except for, of course, Mignon Wen, who already knew what she was doing. Yeah. That explains the lack of fight scenes then, just in general. Oh, also, yeah, just wild stuff like that. So, Ralph Julius trying so hard in this movie. He's the best part of this film. Every line delivery he gives is incredible. He is a genuinely great villain in a subpar movie. And just, (laughs) he did this for his kids, which is just adorable. Um The only thing that, Lexi, you might recognize him from is uh, the Adams Family. Oh! Yeah. Oh, wow. He's Gomez. No, yeah, that's... (laughs) I know, it's sad. But yeah, he does an amazing job in this movie. Can we all agree on that? He's just fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, Um, he is absolutely the best part of this movie. On the topic of good villains and good good things in this movie, I was really surprised by like how good some of the one-liners were and also how good some of the transitions were. Yeah, it was surprisingly funny when it wanted to be. I wrote a couple of these down. Okay, so there was one that I think Guile said to Bison. I'm the repo man and you're out of business. Yes. <laughs> Guile has quite a few good ones directed at M. Bison. <laughs> um, uh, M. Bison has the classic line when Chun-Li confronts him about the day that your father's village burned down was the worst, most important day of your life. But for me, it was a Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, so extra. Yeah, every, every line that he delivers. There's another really, really great one in the final battle between him and Guile. When where he weirdly he, has hover boots. Yeah, <laughs> he starts, yeah. He, he gets into his hover desk where he operates his headquarters from, and he's, this is the saddle from which I, or something about, like, the saddle from which he rides the world or something like yeah. that. <laughs> Amazing. So also, he's planning on putting, like, a McDonald's in his finished dictatorial mall. He's very corporate. It's very corporate. It's subtly a movie about how bad it is to gentrify foreign nations. It's a really yeah. weird poll. He tries to pay Sagat in his own currency. <laughs> Bison dollars. Uh, Fun bucks. Yeah. Oh, I've got another one. Oh, good. This is the collection agency. Your ass is six months overdue. <laughs> Oh, there's also the great moment where he's he's taunting, uh, Guile is taunting Bison over the TV. Uh, oh, yeah. Bison takes over the TV broadcast to deliver his ultimatum to the world, and they're talking back and forth over this broadcast. And Guile just, he, uh, he's, oh, what is it? He tells Bison to take a look at something, and then he just flexes into the camera. (laughs) (laughs) Just very aggressively, and it's so funny. Yeah, nobody in this movie is taking it like it's a serious drama, and it's if you just view it as a comedy, which it primarily is, it's not that bad. I think this movie gets a really a way worse rap than it probably does on the scale of video game movies, which is obviously a very weird tilted scale here. (laughs) 
It's not the worst thing we've watched. It is way more entertaining than Double Dragon. Definitely. Oh, and it's by far. way less painful than things we'll cover later, like Assassin's Creed. It's not dour. At least you can have a good time with it. We watched it with a crowd full of people at Review Cinema in Toronto here with like a game tournament beforehand at a drag show, which is the ideal way to watch it. Just watch it with a crowd of people, several of whom have probably had too much alcohol, and you enjoy yourself. That's the way to watch this movie. It's a good time. Yeah. Is it a good movie? No. <laughs> What's a good time? Oh, Nathan, mm-hmm. do we want to tell the story of your excellent victory at the Street Fighter tournament? <laughs> All right. So uh, the screening we went to, they had a setup where they could have people from the audience play rounds of Street Fighter 2 before the movie started. And they did it tournament style where they picked two like team leaders and then they matched up everyone who fought on each side and determined a winner that way. So I lined up to fight in one of the matches and it had been ages since I'd played basically any fighting game, but especially Street Fighter. So I rolled up there, I picked Zangief. Because and... the whole time I had been shouting for somebody to choose Zangief and nobody had up until that point, and so uh, he did it for me. Yeah. And the person I was fighting against, I think, had a little bit more uh, experience than I did. But we started the round, and he just completely beat me sound the first round. I had no chance. And then the second round, I was starting to get a feel for the controls again. And I was just about down, but I just barely made a comeback and snuck through to the third round. And then the third round was just a tooth and nail fight for victory. And I just, (laughs) just barely squeaked it out at the end. The the crowd was was going crazy. It was like at less than a like point of health. And that was when he got in the throw to Ben. It was amazing. It was a great time. Nice. So yeah, he had a real underdog moment there. I've never been more proud of my fiance. (laughs) But yes, Street Fighter, the live action movie, is not the worst thing. It is fine. It's fine. Yeah. Do we have anything really major we want to talk about with it? Well, there was the... I kind of want to mention the transitions. The the cinematic transitions in this movie were really good, at least sometimes. Like, they... Someone cared. Yeah. Like, there... One that really stood out to me, and it happened a few more times, too, but the one that stood out to me was where they were zooming in on the tattoo, like, the Shadow Law tattoo, or M. Bison tattoo, whatever, his army, like, tattoo on some... On, I think, a, like, dead body. And then immediately transitioned from that to the shadow law base using a tattoo on someone else and i i didn't even know that they had switched until we until the camera moved or until the person moved out of the camera that is a smooth little operation right there the editing is quite good in this movie it's hard to edit an ensemble piece in a way that is at all satisfactory and you know what i consistently followed all of the storylines in this i was never confused about what was going on really and that's saying something like i don't know i feel like it's almost a better ensemble editing piece than like avengers age of ultron like i feel like i know the characters better i know all of the characters in street fighter better than i know quicksilver from age of ultron (laughs) like i would have felt sad if zangief died fair or like even cammy i didn't care about cammy She at least was vaguely competent. Yeah, that's true. She just wasn't, she was just mostly there. She was very much a sidekick, but she didn't really do much. Yeah, she wasn't super important. Chun-Li was the most important female character. And yeah, they 
do do the sexualizing Asian submissive woman thing with her at the end, which is gross. But it's like I mean, it's M. Bison doing it. It's M. Bison, and she is playing on his perception of that to then be able to get close enough to beat the crap out of him. She, uh, she like literally, she just like paid attention for like two more seconds. She would have killed him. It's just that someone came in the room on the other side, and then she got distracted for a second, and then he ran away. Mm-hmm. Also, yes, at the end of the movie, M. Bison gets beaten to a pulp by Guile and then decides he's going to cheat by having like a big hover suit. Yeah, he's using electromagnetic electromagnetism with boots and like lightning. Like it's very the, this scene, the fight scene, the final fight scene between Guile and M. Bison was very Star Wars. They were on a catwalk with except they had railings which was one thing and also falling wasn't a fall to your death but it, it felt like star wars for a moment and he's like shooting force lightning it's electromagnetic energy from his gauntlets or whatever but it felt like a nod to yeah me. it's 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 wild though yeah i mean the director has said that some of his influence for the movie was a combination between Star Wars and James Bond and mm. I think that reads pretty clearly in a lot of the a lot of the action scenes and a lot of the weird like sci-fi <laughs> elements that show up. Yeah, like the con- climax of the movie involves a planned strike against M Bison's forces where a ground team takes out communication turrets and they ride a cool stealth boat straight into his fortress. Yeah, it can turn And they just invisible. have like a magic invisible boat. Which is weird. Also, arbitrarily, the UN comes to be like, no, we're going to negotiate with him. And then Kyle's, no, we're not. And literally every soldier comes with him. So they just don't bother with it after that point. It's a weird note. It's not even the UN. It's the Allied Nations. (laughs) It's the UN. It's the AN. But they still, yeah. I mean, it's clearly the UN. They're even wearing the like baby blue, like peacekeeper (laughs) helmets and uniforms. Yeah. Everyone. Um, Yeah. All of the soldiers were very stormtrooper-esque no one could hit anyone and it was very red versus blue because all of the an troops were just in blue and all of bison's troops were in red and it was very convenient yeah the an troops were basically wearing arctic camo which is such a weird gear choice for southeast asia but okay i guess (laughs) fine uh so besides that yeah the movies i don't know it's not the most interesting thing in the world but i don't know if you want to have a like dumb movie movie night i've seen worse things there's like not a lot in this that's gonna like there's like one or two lines that are like ooh, but most of it's harmless yeah it's mostly harmless it's not too gory like i would show this to children it's fine guile is literally unkillable he dies like four times he like fakes his death at one point in time and then chin lee like breaks into his i don't know the room where his corpse is and like they get into a fight it's weird he he sits up from his body bag We haven't even brought up the fact that uh, Guile, the all-American soldier, is played by Jean-Claude Van Damme because it was the 90s and nobody gave a shit if the actors were actually playing to the proper nationality. (laughs) So yeah, this guy who is still in canon of the movie American as Apple Pie, 
can't speak English without an accent. He is, well, I mean, like, Americans have an accent, but, like, John Clan Van Damme has a not-American accent. Just the thickest French-Belgian accent <laughs> ever. He tries sometimes. It's not worth it, but he tries. <laughs> oh, I don't know the fights. <laughs> what were you going to say? Uh, there was also a random scene during the infiltration and, like, fight in Bison's base between E. Honda and... Who's the fighter that you guys liked? Who's really dumb? Zangief. Between E Honda and Zangief, where they're fighting in the model set that M Bison has of M Bison's right. like Bison Utopia thing, and a Bisonopolis. Cu- Bisonopolis, and a couple people, uh, a couple like clearly Japanese like soldiers who are just kind of like have nothing to do for like a moment. Watch this through a TV monitor and are like clearly getting inspiration for Godzilla. Yeah. They're just like enjoying this kaiju movie that their lives turned into for a few minutes. <laughs> I mean, see, this movie has a lot of little gems in it, honestly. Yeah. It's cute. Nathan, do you have any thoughts? No, I mean, I agree. I find this movie very enjoyable. Like it's stupid, but it's it's fun. Yeah, I don't know. I like I fell for most of the characters and I don't know, Hot Vega. <laughs> Hot Chen Li, Hot Vega. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ken and Ryu have this like con man friendship that Ryu gets a sense of backbone for a few minutes and it takes Ken a while to catch up, but he gets there. <laughs> there are arcs. Characters have things resembling arcs. Mm-hmm. Blanca is shown Nazi propaganda and turns into a violent monster man. Which oh, this is, is another great, moment. great detail. So uh, part of Bison's plan is he's going to create an army of super soldiers. And Charlie, this American soldier, Guile's best friend, is chosen Boyfriend. as the first <laughs> subject. So they lock him in this machine and Dalsim, who is its Indian scientist that he's forcing to work for him, puts him through this brainwashing program to like essentially just hype up his aggression um, which is essentially just Nazi propaganda and gory like violence yeah and then he so Dalsim has this crisis of conscience and wants to stop the brainwashing so he changes the program and starts showing him Martin Luther, Luther King, King Jr. speeches <laughs> and just like videos, image, of videos of children and happy families okay before this happens though M. Bison and comes in and watches the experiments for a bit and it's like I don't get why this guy because Blanca's like screaming right and I, he's like I don't get it why is he so upset about what we're showing him and then it's like the monitor is like Nazi war crimes and we're like because you're showing him Nazi work like I think Delcim is basically like because he's not a psychopath like what's so. your issue dude <laughs> <laughs> so yeah Delcim's overall plan is half brainwash a man into a violent then immediately show him videos of minorities which seems dangerous but it works out mostly. Yeah, so. they, there's a loading bar where they get yeah. to like 50% and it's red and he finally switches it and it goes, everything beyond that is blue. So he like, de- it's like a cerebral, I think they called it like a cerebral upload or something where yeah. basically, and basically at the end he comes out and he's this like mutated goblin man. But Dalsim is just says to Guile, he's capable of good and evil. So, like, literally anyone? (laughs) Yeah, just, like, bigger and greener with uglier hair. So, that's the other thing, is that they're not just brainwashing him, they are also injecting him with green slime. Just, like, bags, like... 
Halloween store quality looking <laughs> like bags of mysterious green liquid. Which is to increase his muscle mass. Oh yeah, and the explanation for why Dulcim gets all like bald and skinny and weird looking is that he like, gets thrown into this rack of strange liquids yeah. and gets them all over himself. It's the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles approach to a backstory. Yeah. One of the, the, the fun things about this movie is that like everybody is slowly turning into the way they look in the games. Like yeah. they all start in like fairly normal looking costume design and then over the course of the movie they like piece by piece approach the costumes they have in the game. With the exception of Guile who starts off the way he is but like without he's the flat a military top hair. guy with I mean his hair is still really dumb. It's yeah. just slightly less dumb. <laughs> It's, yeah. it's what the natural human version of that haircut looks like. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, by the end of it, Ken and Ryu get their like matching red and white geese because they get inducted into the villain cult and that's just what they're given. And then of course, Ken tears the sleeves off his uniform. That was the biggest mystery of the Street Fighter universe. At what point did he get mad enough to rip his own sleeves <laughs> off? Like, what is his deal? Um, once they're all in their costumes, at the end of the movie, at the very, very end of the movie, they all do this like high school musical-esque jump into the air. Arbitrarily, it ends on a freeze frame of them jumping in the air. It ends on a freeze frame. It's so good. (laughs) Although before that we do, or is this before or after, the sequel bait. Oh, I think there was sequel bait. Oh, yes, there was sequel sequel bait as as after credits. So, like, there's an after credit stinger in this movie. It's a goddamn Marvel film. Like, (laughs) this movie is so Marvel-y in, like, a lot of ways. It's not as good as most Marvel movies, but, like, it has a lot of the same vibe to it. It's... It's a lot more. It's very marvelly. But anyways, we've, we've beat the bad guy and done a freeze frame jump and the whole credits have played to like very 90s music. And then we go back to the record of M. Bison's like lab and his suit is artificially like reviving him. So like M. Bison is fine, actually. He wasn't dead. So sequel that never happened. Yeah. Because Ralph Julia died. Apparently that scene uh, wasn't actually in the theatrical release because they didn't. They wanted to be like respectful of the fact that Raul Julia just died. Oh. So they didn't. They didn't include the post-credit stinger in the theatrical version of the movie. Oh man, I didn't know that. That's so bad. Why would they add it ever? Like why add it then? You know the sequel. It's not uh, happening. Oof. <laughs> Oofa doofa. Yeah. yeah. Street Fighter. It's a movie. It's a movie. All right. Do we want to give some arbitrary ratings? I think so. All right, Lexi, your turn for arbitrary rating. Okay. I think that on a scale from like a single kick to a super mega ultra combo chain, this movie has like, you know, a solid like 50 hit combo. I don't know. Like whatever that means. (laughs) That's a good, it's a good system. All right, Nathan, arbitrary rating time. Um, let's see. Uh, if we're going on a scale from uh, Bobom to um, Nerf guns, I'll give this uh, like a Hadouken. Okay, Hadouken. <laughs> Which they don't really do any like. No, they don't make real that attempts reference. to do the Hadouken. No. Uh, Stephen D'Souza didn't really want to do any of the supernatural stuff in the movie, so he just kind of leaves that out. Yeah, and so he just makes it weird sci-fi, which I, <laughs> I think, honestly, this it movie works better. It's weird the movie. enough without yeah. magic. Okay, so it's my time for arbitrary rating. All right, uh, on a scale 
of Smash Brothers DLC fighters from Ken, the Ryu clone, to Banjo Kazooie. <laughs> I'm gonna give this. I think we're gonna give this a. This is a hard one. I'm gonna give it a an Echo Fighter Daisy. Okay. Okay. So that has been our breakdown of two Street Fighter movies. Street Fighter. We didn't give a rating to the Street Fighter animated it's movie, bad. but let's just it, it doesn't deserve. Let's a say rating. they all get shark bones, but like broken <laughs> shark bones that you found like under your feet what? when you stepped on them. That's the rating. <laughs> okay. Embedded pieces of shark bone in your foot. Uh, Puka shell necklace. <laughs> right. Actually, I'm going to mention this. This might be the stinger. Nathan at one point in time noticed in the animated movie that M. Bison's costume included a necklace made out of bullet shells, but he just said, wait, is he wearing a necklace made out of shells? And I responded, well, it is the 90s. <laughs> He's like, no, not Puka shells. And I was like, yeah, but would that be that out of character? Like, yes, yes, it yeah, would. Yeah, I think I it would be. Why. Anyways, uh, hashtag Street Fighter 2, the beach movie. (laughs) Everybody just goes on a beach vacation instead and works out their issues with volleyball. That would be excellent. Yes. I mean, isn't that just the, like, dead or alive beach volleyball I mean, there's only two women, so no. Okay, so this has been Video Game, the movie, the podcast. Lexi, where can people find you? You can call me... You you can't call me. (laughs) You can find me on Twitter at Conwell underscore Alex. All right, and Nathaniel. You can find me on Twitter at Bert Nerdtram. All right, and you can find me at Kenzie Phoenix and also at uh, VGTM Podcast for the show. We don't know what's next, do we? This has been Video Game, the Movie, the Podcast. Catch, do we have a catchphrase? What have I been saying? I, I don't remember. Catch y'all on the flip side of the arcade cabinet. Ugh. Game over. <laughs> Game over. <laughs> Hashtag quarters. Press start to continue. (laughs) We're done. This is done. We're done.